Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, visual effects artist, Jeff Desen, joins us to talk about their work on everything, everywhere, all at once. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for joining me today. Hi there. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here as well. Join us to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. I think you are my third guest on about the film. I had already had the stunts called Tim Ulick and also costume designer Shirley Karata. But now it's time to look at the visual effects side of it all. Before I would jump in and we start talking about the film, I just wanted to sort of get an idea what does a visual effects artist do? A visual effects artist comes usually in at the, the tail end of production during post-production. And they it can be a whole range of things that what they have to do. Some of that can just be cleaning up things that didn't quite work out the way they were supposed to in production. But that can also range all the way to creating an entire environment including characters to play out you know that to, to be animated and play out a scene so it, it's a it's a very the spectrum of what visual effects entails is very very broad and you know there's no one right way to do it or uh, you know it's it's really every movie is a, a different has different requirements and and sort of highest different visual effects artists and it's also something that's still very new in terms of the various departments that you have in film so you know it's it's still in its infancy i would say of of what visual effects uh, visual effects artist does and i think as you know as we move forward in the in the coming decades we'll we'll see we'll see it certainly it has already revolutionized the way we make films, but we'll see it even more, you know, I think being integrated into production all the way to pre-production and the way films are made, you know, and, and it is really something that isn't just uh, limited to post-production anymore, but it's also become like a, a, an integral part to the entire movie-making process. We, well, with visual effects, as you said, it's very new technology, but it also it's ever evolving and we're seeing more and more of this technology uh, on screen. I think a good example is the Star Wars, uh, what they've created with the LED screens and that technology where they don't need to use green screen now, but they just have the camera and it follow and the background is whatever they want. And, it, and the screens themselves detect the camera and sensor there and follow the ca- move around as the camera moves as well which is insane to think that that's where they've gotten to at this point now but even on a film like with everything everywhere all at once there was only a handful of people working in the vfx department compared to a normal film where it is just an endless list of people who are working on uh, on a 
on a big budget film like a Marvel or Star Wars or DC. I think if I'm right, there were there were there seven were of five, you. Yeah, five in the core team, and then uh, at our peak, we had we had seven working on it. Which is like insane. Like the, I'll be curious to talk about what the workflow is uh, a little bit later on. But how did the project come about for you? I I've known the Daniels and and also like Zach Stalls and who was the visual effects supervisor for for quite a while now. I think maybe ten years back or so. And we sort of grew up alongside making music videos and you know and and those were by nature very uh, low budget productions and you know required um, to be crafty about things and visual effects was always one you know one element where you yourself could sort of make something look a bit more stand out a bit more you know through the use of visual effects uh, and give you that extra edge and i think the daniels reached out to me way way back to help them like on a music video that they were making and so that's how i got to know them and you know it's it's it, it same with zach he was he's also you know he's also director in his own right and he's doing his own visual effects and it's sort of like through that whole group that i also met the other the other artists uh on the movie ethan feldbau and and ben brewer and we sort of, yeah, we, we, we've known each other for a long, long time. And when the movie came about, uh, I think I joined the team a little bit later. Uh, when I came on board, we, they had already Ethan and Ben, who'd been uh, a bit more involved on the conceptual uh, side of things. And, and they've been doing a few VFX, but I came in sort of, around the time they were about to lock the edit as sort of like the for like the, the final six month stretch where we where we're essentially finalizing finalizing the movie so when you come into a period of the last stretch of it working in those six months and you're finalizing each scene and what else what what else has needed to be included in or uh, added to it what does your day-to-day job looked like and what is your workflow the way zach uh our supervisor had organized the whole workflow it it, it was a you know because this you know this happened in the middle of lockdown so the, the, essentially there was a the plan initially i think was that we would all sit together in an office share an office across from where they were editing the movie we could instantly ask questions and like look over each other's shoulders and sort of collaborate in that in a, in a much more direct way and then obviously pandemic happened and and uh we were all sort of scattered around in our own little uh, home offices and it became zach's his like what he did so well on this movie was to very quickly come up with a, a pipeline and a workflow that would allow for all of us to work this way, and he uh, he sort of set up a, a just a, a a system where each of us had a drive, everything essentially on it. Every shot that needed the visual effects was on that drive, and he'd already set up the projects. You know the way it works is like we all work in the same software called After Effects, 
and it, it was really just a matter of like uh, grabbing your shot of the hard drive and it was already set up in the project and you could just immediately start being creative and like working on the shots as opposed to having you know having to think about the whole folder structure and all that stuff which can you know that that in itself can slow you down a lot and and so we had like felt like overall like a very you know it's very fluid and very yeah it, it like it, it really helped us creatively because we the way we we did a lot of shots there wasn't really like one set way to do it, it was a lot of it was like oh hey um we got this shot uh we don't know exactly how to do this we kind of know like okay we wanted to look like this or that and it felt like um from a creative standpoint it, it felt like unlike other shows uh, or movies where it's like all right this is like a very rigid system of structure and you have to do things a certain way this felt like very like okay you do your thing and hand us the shot back and you know and and, and we'll take it from there and lucky for me like it, it you know they, they seem to be happy with with what i was doing and yeah and and, and that's you know on a day-to-day -day basis basis it was always like i had a handful of shots that i would work on within a given week and you know the deadline there wasn't one right away it, it, it still felt fairly loose at the beginning because of the you know they didn't have a release date uh, because of the pandemic they didn't want to release the movie immediately so we always knew that like a deadline was coming but not quite when so it felt very um you know in a sense it it, it was very unique and i don't think this this situation will ever you know exist again where you can sort of dabble in a movie like that and sort of like really find find the movie as you're as you're working on it in post because usually the turnaround is so fast that you cannot afford the luxury of of trying out things but for this we yeah we could we could try out a lot of things and it, it was it was very um yeah it was very creatively very fulfilling at least i think something like that is always uh, great to hear being able to be as creative as possible but also having the constraints of a pandemic where I, th I think maybe like the plus side of having something like the pandemic mm -hmm. has helped with the creativity and allowing uh, you guys to flourish and get on with what you're doing because I think sometimes as well like with pre-pandemic life everything felt very thousand miles per hour thousand miles per hour gotta get yeah. this done gotta get this done go 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 whilst yeah. I guess if you've having time to breathe it's given you a time to actually adjust to understand what you need to do what and how you're going to uh, execute what's going on but as well with uh, something like this where there's not many of you probably a lot more work to do but then it gives you an idea of the great the finer detail of each shot and each scene that you're working on um i do have a list of uh, scenes that i've seen whilst youtubing where as a normal viewer you would kind of forget that actually hang on a second something like that is added in in post-production so i think a good one is the chef scene in the rakakuni universe where you see the chef cutting uh, various bits of food onto the hot plates and even when you're creating something like that how difficult is that to create and then implement it into the scene 
yeah that particular shot was that was a, a funny one like it, it was when i got the shot it was the first shot i got for the entire movie it was my first shot i didn't know how to do it like or what what approach would be the best solution for it you know you you there's so many ways you could do it this essentially in the scene you have to imagine like the plate and the, the plate is like the raw footage that we got was essentially just harry chum jr pantomiming as if there were vegetables flying in the air but there were none and so you look at that and you have to think okay so they want vegetables flying around and it's got to look choreographed and you know coherent and like how do i create these vegetables and my i think the first the first place my mind goes or any any visual effects artist will think okay this we're gonna have to model these vegetables in 3d i'm gonna have to texture them light them animate them render them composite them and it's like so many steps you know that that would be involved and i think they i think we were counting on like oh this is going to take like two weeks for this one shot and or not quite but i thought hang on i'll just i'll just try to paint these vegetables in 2d so i i because I have a I have a knack for painting and like you know I like to I, I like to draw stuff photorealistically. I thought okay I can I, it's just an apple or like whatever it's like a shrimp a cucumber I can draw that and so I, I drew it in essentially in After Effects which has like a very simple paintbrush uh, and and I put like a highlight on it and a bit of shading and I animated that and. I, I, with the motion blur, it, it sort of started to look okay. Like I, I, I couldn't tell if this was like a three D vegetable or whatnot, and so I, I decided to do the entire scene like that. And it didn't take me very long. And I showed it to the guys, and yeah, they were like, "That this is great. Like you can. Uh, we have no idea how you did this, but this works." And yeah, I, I, I had there was one more I think Rekakuni shot that that got the same treatment. Um, but I was, I myself was surprised that, that it worked because I was, I was sure I was going to have to do everything in 3d and try to place these vegetables in space. And at the end of the day, it was very much like, you know, like it was like essentially, um, Roger Rabbit, where you, you know, just go and sell shade stuff on top of existing footage. And sure, it looks a little cartoonish, but I think for the nature of, of what the scene was about, it, it, it's, it was quite fitting. You comparing it to Roger Rabbit, which is one of my favourite films, the way that they did that film, and then if you're comparing that to how you, your process is, quite funny how even though you said earlier uh, technology is evolving, they still go, it's still going with the sort of old old school techniques, but now just on a computer rather than uh, drawing them out. But the but but. The funny thing as well is, as a normal audience member, you wouldn't realise that stuff like that. You'd think that they're sort of in-camera tricks, but at the same time, it's those in, those uh, small details that really do make the film, um, especially seamless. I know that I was listening to one interview with the Daniels where they were talking about how even though they had 500 VFX shots in the film, they still wanted to make it as natural-looking as possible. And to use it more of the film to be more of editing than green screen running around but there's there's also two other scenes that are 
um, got on my list, which do have the use of green screen, but also I think they the the plates for the shots were done by uh, one of the Daniels, and that's when Evelyn gets sucked through the universe. So the way that they shot it was was that they had the plates where I can't remember which Daniels it was, but he was walking through on holiday through uh, the cities. Daniel Kwan, thank you. Walking through the the cities and then using that as a plate and then having the green screen whilst uh, Michelle Yao gets sucked through. For something like that, because you have a green screen, you can create whatever you'd like as the background. But how much more difficult is it that they're getting pulled through universes what for what you're capturing and what's going to appear on screen to make it look so seamless and for it to to have those two have the plates shot and the green screen shot be stitched together in addition to just shooting it on green screen they also had like similar to what you were saying earlier with that star wars technique where they like have that those led panels they had sort of like a cheap man's version of that where they put two led panels left and right of michelle yo and that, that panel already played back the footage or the, the, the plate the, uh, that was going to uh, replace the green screen. And so, so Daniel Kwan, he, you know, he's, he himself is like, he's a great After Effects artist. And, you know, that's like, you know, he, he knew like how to construct a shot from the ground up. So he, you know, he started a year before even shooting that, filming all these plates, then cutting them together, you know, speeding them up to in order to be able to play those back live on set. Then, you know, he was also the one to set the shot up. He was like, he was the first artist on it to like sort of lay everything out. And I took over from him to just essentially mostly just clean up and make sure that like the key was was you know there wasn't too much green green screen spill and all that and just uh, making sure it's overall a bit more yeah just clean clean and so a, a lot of that had to like it was only possible because they they are in essentially also the effects artists and they know how to shoot something as economically as possible in order to get uh, the, the result that they have in mind and and that's that was that's a huge advantage you know in this day and age and they i think it's when you look at not just that shot but like other shots that i would get and i you look at the plates there's like so much already in the plates uh that makes the shot that way you know you look at it and you know the material is there the raw material to make this work like they shoot it and they you can tell someone's shooting that who has who knows what's needed on post end of things if you have the directors themselves who do know what is needed at the end it must make your job a lot easier knowing that there's people who've set it up correctly have an idea exact idea and having that experience of knowing uh, not just the the tech but also being able to communicate what they'd like as the end product as well but how, as you said as well, having that experience is extremely valuable because it makes it must make the work process so much easier to actually understand what the directors want as well. Yeah, and, and the other thing you have to keep in mind, like as far as I know, they didn't use storyboards, and usually, like storyboards are, you know, something that is as visually effects heavy as this. It's highly recommended to to work with storyboards, but 
since they kind of know and you know it, they they can skip that step and just shortlist it and decide on the fly you know if they change something they can they already know like okay this is something that's possible or we're shooting ourselves in the foot here they're very yeah they're just very fluid in the, in the language of of digital effects i think it's pretty insane not being to for a film like this not to be storyboarded <laughs> and have things done on the fly even just the vfx because i've seen what a vfx previs looks like and how much people go in just to plan a shot of someone walking down the rain compared to something like this where yeah it just kind of blows my mind a bit with just what with like not being to storyboard it and just thinking yeah we're gonna freestyle this um obviously you have an idea of what you'd want but but things change on the day or if the locate there's other mitigating factors that might change uh what you decide to do but still wow to not be able to storyboard and have that all ideas in your head just go with it it's incredible there's a, another scene as well where I saw where somebody was being sucked in by the bagel and the video that I saw it had the, the best way to describe it for me is that it had layers where you see the person being sucked in but there were different layers of their face in terms of what their facial expression was like I'm not sure where to begin with this because how how do you like it I, I, because for me it's it's kind of like it feels like a mind trick that it feels like that it doesn't I know it's not real but it looks so real if that makes sense that I, I don't know how somebody is able to create something like that so is it possible if you could just walk through how something like that is made yeah that I mean that particular shot was the first one I did in a sequence of shots where people were sort of affected by the bagel and you know they like it was a it was also sort of the the research and development uh, laboratory for what those effects were going to look like subsequently in that sequence and this yeah this shot it was actually dan dan kwan himself who was playing that uh, that uh extra who's being pulled into the into the bagel it was you know it was just like him against uh, green screen acting out and the you know we had like when i came in like they had like certain zack stalls had set up a, like a a, a a rough visual of what i what the, the effects that we could apply to it to make it to give it that stretchy being sucked into another dimension thing but then like it took me that shot took me, I think, a week to work on. I, it was a it was a big shot, even though it was a very short shot. It was sort of where I I tried out a lot of things. Some didn't work, and some some worked. And I could sort of like fill my tool belt with different things that I would then apply in in later scenes where where people are being where the skin is sort of affected by by the gravitational pull of the bagel and yeah it was really like um i had no idea how to do any of that when i started on the shot and then i you know over the course of that week and it, i didn't finish the shot within a week but it like it we kept on reiterating it and you know i, I found out all these these displacement me methods to displace 
and sort of make it feel like you know there's like turbulences in the air and like different methods of refraction and then the, the chromatic aberration and all these little uh, all these these small things that you pepper in to make it look realistic because that was always another big part was that what they were saying is like it, it had to feel sort of I want to say like hype like it didn't have to feel photorealistic but it had to feel like optical at least like it had to feel like it was shot like you shot an effect on camera like uh, they kept saying more uh Ghostbusters, less Marvel. Like they wanted it to really feel like, uh, like there was an in-camera effect or something happening, and a lot of that was just finding the right like look for that. And uh, Ethan Feldbau, one of the lead lead visual effects artists on this, he he'd come up with like you know the the a little plugin uh, that sort of mimicked uh, the the chromatic aberration of the, the actual lenses and the camera that that Larkin Seipel used to shoot the movie and it's all like these little things that they'd already developed uh, to make it look to to integrate everything seamlessly into uh, into the rest of the movie because this 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 particular one was essentially all green screen but it had to feel like yeah it's like that's the background and his paper flying through the air and and now the, the face is being pulled off and that was actually a happy accident. That's like I, you were talking about those layers earlier, and there was a, a moment where I didn't switch off the layer. The idea was just the face gets pulled off, and there was one where I left the layer on, and you saw the pristine original face below it. And I was like, "Oh, that could be fun. I'll, I'll show that to them." And and they thought that it tied nicely into the uh, multiverse idea where you have like sort of a few versions of a person coexisting at once close to the bagel and yeah we decided to keep that and lean into that now i think when you hear the sort of uh, process behind it all and the idea that you want to do it more ghostbusters than marvel is quite is quite fun but also on top of that when you're saying that you weren't sure how to do it once you started it but with sort of trial and error and happy accidents you've got that final look which looks really cool but then also as i said even though they said not to look make it look photo photorealistic it still does in a weird way but like in a really cool way in terms of just that it's not not like lazy cgi it's just i don't know for me it just looks really cool (laughs) um it reminds me a little bit of something like the thing when you see where the the two heads sort of come out and they're um i know that's done uh, practically but it reminds me a lot like that oh that's great that's a it's a great compliment (laughs) (laughs) also with the vfx and working on something like this and what would you say was probably the hardest task that you had to do whilst working on the film there were a couple of really, really tricky things. One, what, there's one in totally invisible effect now that, that nobody ever knows is there. But there's a scene. It's, it, it is when Jobu Tobaki is being introduced. Uh, she's, she comes out of the elevator and uh, she has a whole... She gets rid of all the, the policemen and then it's only her and Evelyn in the corridor. 
And the scene was shot actually with Jamie Lee Curtis standing behind her during this entire sequence. And I think they, like the edit, like they were trying to cut it and it, it just like didn't really work for whatever reason. And the task then fell upon me to get rid of Jamie Lee Curtis because she was knocked out on the ground, I think, in the narrative. And she wasn't supposed to be standing behind Jogu Tubaki. So my job was to get rid of, to, to er essentially erase her standing, you know, over the shoulder. And it was a moving shot, you know, so it had to like be 3D tracked. And she was wearing this furry... A furry coat which is notoriously hard to to get rid of even if you have a green screen and there was no green screen so we, like it, it was i think i spent two or three weeks on that sequence alone just painting out jamie curtis frame by frame and yeah no it's, it's something nobody will ever know it happened uh if you watch the scene uh, even i watched the scene and i forgot that i i spent all that time in that corridor trying to get rid of uh, one of the characters. But there were also other scenes. I think like the, the one of the trickiest, for me at least, was one that was center stage, like during a big emotional beat at the end, just before Joy steps into the bagel, just before she gets like, okay, she takes a step back and she gets like absorbed by the bagel. And it's this big emotional beat and so i knew that you know the effect i uh, had to not distract you at all like that was the, the challenge was like it was like a the background was all green, uh, blue screen there and whatever i was going to do couldn't stand out like it just couldn't take away from from the moment because it would have taken you out of the movie and so i think that was also the shot with the most iterations. I think there were like 36 versions of that. And we were working on it right up to the deadline to get it right. And I, I remember sitting in a QC, like a quality control screening, and the shot came up and it, it just wasn't there yet. And it was like, and it it really, it sits there at this moment and like it takes you out. And I, I had to go back and uh, work on it for some more until you know, until it was good, like passable, like it, it just wouldn't distract you. And that was, I think, the most, like that shot of her getting fully absorbed by the bagel was the, for me, technically the most, the most challenging one and creatively. You do have a, sh so when you do have, uh, what's interesting to hear about that is you're going through the screenings and working and working away on it. But with so many shots that go into it as well, does that, are the shots, I just want to check as well, are the shots already edited together for you to start working on? Or do you work on each shot then gets put back onto the timeline to be edited on? So the way a shot comes to the visual effects artists or like on most projects, it's like you editorial will output just that those frames or that chunk that needs work plus minus a few handles on each end of the shot, just in case they want to make some minor tweaks, they can still do it. But usually a shot when I get it is already like, it's very defined like that. It will live in the edit. Uh, you know, it, it will live in the locked cut. 
because otherwise you know it, it you'd be uh you can't really like it takes so much time and work to work on each frame that like you have to be very precise with what you send to uh what you send to visual to visual effects okay yeah because i was more i was curious to see what if with your work if you're constantly working on a scene if it would become to you already fully cut and for you guys to work your magic but the yeah. um they do yeah and to some extent uh, like some of them had already like which i love some of them had like the temp sound in it and the te- like the temp music and you know that really helps like if i because i'm also like a weird thing happens when i when i animate especially when i animate stuff that's not there i i i need sounds i need something to like you know and it, it the sound really helps me to sort of like visualize it in a funny way yeah it really helped to get the shots like when we got the shots they they always had the uh, that soundtrack in it already and you played on loop so so many times uh that you really internalize the the sound and the noises and the music even the music was already like to some extent in those in those clips that we got uh, and it really helps. It really like it. It helps you like also know where you're at in the story and like sort of you know in in, in terms of like uh, the, the, the 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 linearity of it all. Because sometimes you you know there's some continuity that you also have to watch out for when you're doing VFX. And yeah, no, it it's not always the case that you get the sound along with the audio uh, with the video. I guess that could lead on to my next question is that does if you have a sound effect of what the scene is going to look like does that affect your work or will it affect the sound designer's work so if there's a way that just as an example you have on screen something that the sound effect is more comical is that going to change the way that you're going to work and is that going to change the way that you're going to work and maybe changed it from a more serious tone to more lighthearted tone. Yeah, I think, I mean, there, there was like one example comes to mind where there's like one shot where the Evelyn and uh, Jobu sit down on the couch and they sit on the crack of the couch and then they get like sucked into the couch. And that shot had like a very funny, I don't know, it had like a, a, a really funny sound to it. And I don't know, somehow the idea came up to add like a, a flip-flop that would like one of Evelyn's flip-flops would come loose and like fly, you know, fly in the air and be like the only thing left on the couch once both of them disappeared. And it was like, there was like a, just a, yeah, there was like a funny sound in there that made me like sort of like time the flip-flop to that sound. I remember, I don't know if if like, if it ended up in the movie, the sound, because what we got wasn't like the final sound. You know, they, you know, the the, the like the, the the sound department, they again went over everything once the, the VFX were in there, so that they also had then something that they could react to and that they could sort of manufacture their 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 sound, like design their sounds to. So it's like a yeah, it, it's definitely like a bit of a ping pong game here because, but it doesn't always happen like that. Like usually, there's no sound on like on a shot. You just get the the shot, it's mute, 
you do your thing and you hand it back and then the sound designers come in okay because it was always so i i do wonder if it's ever who who has to blink first to change what they're working on and how they're working on it um just the way that if you have you know if one thing looks one way or it will sound the other way or how it will dictate people's work really just to come to my penultimate question what was your favorite shot to work on my favorite shot um i would say um i really enjoyed the the rakakuni shot because it was it it was a uh, very satisfying to you know get to the solution so quickly i i got lucky you know that that sort of the 2d version of it worked out but it was also just very satisfying to animate it frame by frame and sort of like you know you lay it out and then you play it back and to see that whatever you just did sort of sticks to to the plate like it 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 looks as if it was there and it's interacting with with what's there it's very satisfying and and that was you know just like and seeing just all the joy it brought to everyone else it, it I would say, yeah, that that was my favorite shot to work on. <laughs> I'll make sure that when I watch the film again to keep an eye out for that one. And in the back of my mind, I'd be like, this is Jeff's favorite shot. I do, but even this is just such a unique, unique film in terms of if somebody had to say, what's your favorite scene? It's very difficult to pick from because each universe is so specific. It has its own set of rules, its own sort of... It, it feels like basically a, a little short within a big film of these characters. And even, even when you explain to someone who hasn't seen the film what Rakakuni is and, you know, people think you're just a bit crazy and think it's actually Ratatouille. But no, it's just, I'll, I'll, um, I'll have to watch that back again just to see your work with where the, um, the sushi and all the vegetables are going all over the place without actually being real. They're just computer generated. But the but just to lead on to my final question, what's next for you? Because I know you dabble in directing as well. Is yeah. there anything else that you'll be working on that we should keep an eye out for? Um, currently, we are working like the, all the guys uh, who worked on uh, everything everywhere, like the, the whole visual effects department. Uh, Zagif and Ben, where um, we, we got together uh, after the movie and we, yeah, we, we were looking at, you know, further collaborating. Um, so as, as sort of a VFX collective and we, yeah, we have currently a few projects uh, that we can't really talk about, but <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about it. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely something, you know, that we weren't planning on doing, but during this movie, we found like that we collaborated really well, and especially we sort of our strengths and weaknesses, sort of yeah, they they sort of complemented each other, and we were still friends after the project was finished. So it's like a good a good sign to keep going. In terms of directing, I uh, I might yeah I might have one or the other smaller projects coming up uh music video uh and you know in terms of yeah I'd, I'd love to direct a feature script of mine but you know i uh 
it's it's a it's a long game. It's uh, making movies takes time. <laughs> yeah, um, but I will look. Fingers crossed that we get to see that feature in the next few years. And um, I'd like to keep an eye out uh, for your work as director, but also uh, what you guys do next. I'm sure it will be announced at some point or we'll see a trailer for something coming along. But yeah, I do. I, I am going to keep an eye out to see if you if that feature comes along. So I'll be curious to um, to see what you do and what the future brings. Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about everything everywhere all at once, which you, you can now get on a, via streaming or on DVD or on Blu-ray. I'm not sure about Blu-ray. I think they'll probably do a special edition of some sort for that. Um, and I think they're doing a re-release as well with some additional footage um, over the next few weeks or so um, from my understanding. But yeah, thank you again. Thanks for having me. No, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time. You take care and- Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.